Yeah, and then fucking Hugo had a Yona. What the hell's he yeah. playing at? I think he did it just to piss us off. He did spite he us, didn't he? To, yeah. He could have announced it tonight. It's Molly's job titles, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he was getting us back for all those references to used car yeah. salesmen and hairdressers. And I yeah. think he took it personally. Yeah. yeah. It's Friday, December 11th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Schrodinger's Chess Grandmaster. And with me today are Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Bill Gates, Microchip Desirer, <laughs> and Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Departing Belgian Shade Lover. Molly, it's your, it's your last week. It is. Yeah. How, how, how heartbroken. No, it's yeah. not. Well, next week is my last so it's week. It's never going to be the same Am I not, Do I not get to be here for the Ophef discussion? Am I canceled oh, yeah. for next week? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I officially. mean, it's fine, but that's no, that I mean, would be mean. Yeah, that but would the, be the, cruel. That's not really a regular week, though. I wasn't thinking of that. that, no, that that's, that's like little, true. Little, little extra. That's like your, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, your curtain call. Or your, oh, your yeah, my uh, encore. Your encore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's nice. You get to do like a last one on an encore. That's a that's a that's a very uh, that's a yeah. very nice way of putting it. That's out. a proper way Thank for you. the diva to leave the stage, you know, which I yes. think is <laughs> may or may not be an appropriate. I think it's, it's slightly accurate. I, think. I don't I don't take offense at that. Uh, yeah, I was reminding myself of that as I was getting up at five forty-five this morning to uh, set up the podcast studio. But I only have to do this one more time, which is exactly. uh, exciting. <laughs> Well, we will miss you very much. Yes, will. I will miss you guys as well. Although yeah. I will uh, look forward to coming back uh, to do some guest hosting for the uh, for the election stuff. Indeed. Where um, we have no idea who will be standing for, for the city. No, exactly. We, yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know which parties will be standing or who will be leading them or anything. You know, uh, no, I mean, we, we, know we also don't know where, where the Binnenhof will, will be, where they'll be moving into, because that's <laughs> no. another whole uh, can of worms. It's really, that opened up uh, there's a lot of a lot, lot of unanswered questions uh, <laughs> regarding <laughs> national elections. We even don't know when the elections are, so yeah, everything no, can happen. This is true. Did you guys volunteer to help out at the uh, at the at the as an election poll person? Well, I kind of have family ties that preclude yeah. that, but uh, so that's no. A, <laughs> that's an issue. Uh, Niels and I are going to uh, my that's partner are going to do it, which I think is fun. So yeah, volunteer I, to help. At the... I will vote at your polling station then. I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do because you can also like count ballots. So like maybe you're not there. Usually you have to combine it because I uh, I once volunteered as well and I was oh. uh, sitting at the uh, at the polling station uh, the entire day and then had to count it. Yeah. And then uh, you are in this in this in this uh, gymnasium in this giant hall where everybody is counting it and then uh, all of a sudden it's it's all quiet and all of a sudden someone yells I have a Piratenpartij vote and then everybody yeah. <laughs> <laughs> applause and then they continue back to work nice because that's those votes are very rare yeah. no but we will miss you on the podcast thank you for uh being with us for the past what is it four years i think four it years. is frighteningly four years yes frighteningly yeah. four years yeah. because this podcast started at the last uh, well in the wake of the last uh, general elections so um yeah uh we will miss you but uh, uh at least we have uh, your guest appearances to look forward to so um yeah, I think, uh, I guess we, we're not uh, entirely uh, uh, got rid of we're you. We're not entirely shot of you yet, no. No, no. no. <laughs> I don't, I think like a bad axe. It's like Brexit, basically. never really be, be rid of me. <laughs> yeah. 
Paul, what is uh, Schrodinger's chess? Uh, I seem to miss this. So well, oh, this, you're going to love this. Yeah. Um, it, 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 remember uh, two weeks ago when we thought uh, things couldn't get uh, messier than the, fa- the, the, than the FAD party? Yes, that's true. Yeah. And then and then Deze Sister and CDA came along this week. Yeah. Um, I uh, completely missed that there is a uh, grand chess grandmaster that is a representative for the Forum for Democracy, both in the Senate and in the um, North Brabant provincial uh, representation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this guy announced that he was leaving the FAD Senate party yeah. fraction, but he was staying in the FAD faction yes. in North Brabant. <laughs> yeah, I did see this story. Now, now it makes sense. I <laughs> thought that the FAD was really opposed to this party carousel, party cartel thing. Yeah. Where, like, and people also- are constantly just moving in and out of positions and, you know, holding and- multiple jobs at the same time, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And just keeping yeah. jobs within the same small circle of people. Yeah. And them yeah, and, and, yeah. And of course, they're also very much against seat stealing as well one time. Yes. But that yeah. now yes. seems to be almost obligatory to become an FAD representative. <laughs> Yeah, Seems like yeah. the only way to get into one of the, the electoral bodies in this country. So, um, so yeah, everybody made these. Uh, I, I noticed that this guy, um, you know, uh, left the party in, in the Senate and, and stayed in the party in the, in the provincial council. But I didn't know that he was a grandmaster. So, all of a sudden, everybody was uh, replying to me on Twitter with these chess jokes. And I was like, where are these chess <laughs> references coming from? And then all of a sudden, someone said that he was a grandmaster. And then everything made sense. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, uh, I learned something uh, this week. That's that's good. It's good to learn something. Yeah. Uh, and Gordon, um, you want a microchip in your veins? Uh, yes. What's that all about? Uh, no, I think this is just. Uh, I think I said on Twitter yesterday that uh, <laughs> the, the, the coffee wasn't working for me. I was still walking around like a um, like a zombie. So I thought. The, so I was looking forward to getting the, uh, the the microchip that apparently comes with the uh, coronavirus vaccine to to finally yeah. feel alive again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they, they they can just kind of control my energy levels uh, for, re- remotely from. You know, b- b- from Bill Gates's volcanic island or whatever, <laughs> wherever he's supposed to hang out. So yeah, Seattle, I think. But yeah, yeah that's, well, uh, you know, it's similar. Well, no, that's not good enough for a conspiracy, though. It's got to be a volcanic island, really. Yeah, <laughs> I think they have uh, uh, Mount Saint Helens nearby, so perhaps yeah. there he can build his uh, yeah, yeah. his uh, his lair over there. Um, yeah, but we had this strange. Um, feeling on Wednesday uh, uh, I believe it was that everybody was feeling down a bit or, or not very energetic we all had yeah. it it was, it was very strange yeah I know it was weird yeah, yeah, I it think was... everybody has it I, I do not think that this was a unique to us experience oh. I think uh, yeah I don't talk to other people uh, yeah, so maybe me neither yeah, I didn't talk to anyone else either maybe, maybe that's your problem yeah. Paul <laughs> yeah my problem is, is uh, <laughs> yeah, was... I have my diagnosis now indeed yeah it was just a general mood of melancholy wasn't it that was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it should have been on the weather I think forecast. it's a combination of being a little corona tired in this time of year being always kind of exhausting yeah. and uh, yeah so it was a. Uh, it was not a Wednesday. It was not a good day. I, I haven't had a real productive like week, week and a half or so. So, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas break. Yeah, me too. Yep. Um, and Molly, uh, you are our departing Belgian shade lover. Departing yes. because this is your last week. Um, yes. But you, uh, th- there was more Belgian shade, wasn't there? 
There was delightful uh, Belgium shade, which is the best kind of shade, frankly, uh, <laughs> because, of course, the UK started vaccinating people against the coronavirus this week. Um, and the second person they vaccinated was a man named William Shakespeare, which was, of course, quite funny. <laughs> yeah. and, the third you know, one was Florence Horst- Nightingale, I think. Yeah, the, yeah. Fourth, the fourth was Winston Churchill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the the and of course Boris Johnson, the UK's prime minister, was taking all this credit for getting this vaccine rolled out, and the prime minister of Belgium pointed out to him that this vaccine was manufactured in Europe. Um, not just in Europe; it is manufactured in Belgium. It was produced in Germany, and it was created by Turkish immigrants to yeah. Germany. Um, all of which are things that you know. Yeah, all of the things. Yeah, all of the things that Brexit was set up to to, to end, basically. Yes. Yeah, immigration and relationships with Europe. And it turns out, um, I was listening to a discussion uh, about the, the Brexit vaccine situation, and because there is no Brexit deal, it's not clear whether the UK will be able to continue to import this vaccine after the end of the year when Brexit Brexit actually happens, because, of course, they have no trade arrangement. Yeah, um, yeah which, so... is, which is why they have military planes on standby, because they're anticipating massive queues at the border. So they yeah. they want to fly the vaccines over, but as you say, they don't actually have a trade agreement that allows them to export them. So I yes. thought you were going to say that they are they are getting ready to to invade Belgium to get this uh, this vaccine. Uh, I mean, that I think well, is also <laughs> a concern. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Or, 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 or Nigel Farage will just personally hijack a truck. And unfortunately, like Americans, British people don't speak a lot of French and absolutely no Dutch. So I assume that they're going to get lost in about 10 <laughs> seconds on shitty Belgian roads with French road signs. So I think the vaccine will be fine. But I mean, I am I am sort of worried about the poor British people who are stuck <laughs> under this inane, horrible leadership who um, yeah, don't seem to sort of realize the irony of the situation. Yeah, I, I have nothing to say about Brexit. Brexit, yeah, Brexit I mean, there's nothing dumb. to add. Yeah. There's nothing to yeah, it's there. just terrible. No, it's just no. like, yeah, it's, it's just dreadful and continues to get dreadful every day. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of dreadful things. Um, this song is not dreadful. It's a good song, Paul. I disagree <laughs> with that uh, transition. Oh, dear. <laughs> People don't know what we were talking about yet. Let me, let me, let me tell the story first and then you can rant. Fine. Okay? Uh, 2020 has made an end to almost every single aspect of Dutch culture, including circle birthday parties and even the Elfstedentocht was banned. But one tradition that fortunately still exists is the endless stream of end of the year lists and ranking. One of them is our very own Ophef of the Year list. Uh, you will hear about that uh, during the Christmas break. We will uh, talk about. Uh, we will release an extra episode somewhere in the in the in the Christmas break. But this week Ophef was caused by one of the other lists, uh, the one and only top. 2000, the annual ranking of the 2000 best songs ever, and an even better example than Donald Trump's 2016 <laughs> election and the Brexit referendum that democracy is a very bad idea. <laughs> this year saw the end of the five-year-long reign of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody as the leader of the list. Instead, the Netherlands voted Roller Coaster by Dutch country singer Danny Vera as the best song ever. Contrary to popular belief, this isn't the first time Bohemian Rhapsody is not number one, but it is the first time a song that wasn't written decades ago leads the lists. Uh, in 2010 and 2014, uh, Hotel California by The Eagles topped the list, and in 2015, John Lennon's Imagine took the top spot. Immediately after the top 10 uh, of the list was announced, a storm of 
Opeth broke loose by people who didn't agree with the number one. Some said yet another cherished Dutch tradition was killed, and some even demanded a recount from the votes. Um, despite the fact that I'm the only Dutch person on the list, I am also the only one who didn't vote for the top 2000. So I'm going to go to Molly and, and Gordon and ask them, uh, what do you, how do you feel about the top, new top 10? I have a question for Gordon, which is that, is this the first year you've ever voted in the top 2,000? This is, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I did actually succumb and vote for the top 2,000. This is the first year I've done we it. We see what happens when Gordon votes in the top <laughs> yeah. 3,000. I, I am not responsible for any of these songs in the top 10. I, I don't have to know, say. that's and an def- awfully big definitely coincidence, not the one. I think. It's just, <laughs> just, just no. I, I, I hadn't even heard this song that's uh, number one. Well, I, I had, actually, when I, when I heard it back, but I didn't recognise it, uh, just from the title. Uh, but yeah, I thought there could be nothing worse than people endlessly voting for Bohemian Rhapsody. But it's 2020, so of course something worse could happen. <laughs> so I really like this song. Uh, I heard it actually for the first time last year because it was number four on the list. It's not yeah. like this is like something that came out of nowhere. So I'm I'm quite confused by all these Dutch people who claim that they're big fans of the top 2000, but also claim that they've never heard this song before uh, because those things cannot be sort of, uh, those things are mutually exclusive um but i like the song and i'm it's nice to see some like new and some fresh blood and some change and stuff and uh, i particularly enjoy all these dutch people complaining about how a dutch tradition has been (laughs) ruined by nominating a dutch singer as number one over an iranian immigrant to the uk (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah you make a fair point here i i am i don't think rollercoaster by Danny vera should be the number one on the list i do like the singer though i like his voice and i like his style uh i don't particularly like this song so yeah. i i wouldn't uh i i i, I wouldn't think it's uh, it's the best song ever because that's basically what this uh, this position says um but yeah i can i can live with that i agree with you that it's time to to get rid of these bohemian Rhapsodies, Hotel California, has these uh, Stairway to Heavens, and also The Avond by Boudewijn de Goot, which is the most boomer song ever, I yeah, think. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the whole top ten just reeks of boomer, doesn't it? I mean, just look at this yeah. list of songs. It's all song, all hits from the uh, late 70s, early 80s. It's this big concentration. So, so you can tell this who votes This is why you have to poll. encourage young people to participate in democracy, because otherwise you let all the boomers make the decisions for you, and their decisions are bad. <laughs> no, this is why you have to encourage people of all ages to, 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 to just uh, stop the top 3,000 by any means possible <laughs> dashed in petrol set it on fire and uh, yeah uh, on, on a beach in scapening it it's the only it's the only safe remedy just take off and then nuke the whole site from orbit it's the only way to be sure so basically you advise everyone to do with the top 3000 what Boris Johnson is doing with the United Kingdom yeah pretty much yes. yeah yeah. But, but, yeah, but the, the top 3000 will not suffer in the way that uh, the United Kingdom will from Brexit so that's true yeah. I also would like to point out that the top 2000 attracts more voters than the average uh, election in the Netherlands six and a half million people voted and that's just more turnout than, than the provincial elections and the European elections so yeah it's, uh, it's, it's something that's alive in the Netherlands and everybody has to be about it and uh, that will always lead to Ophef. Yeah and the great thing is I mean I remember in 2015 uh, when they didn't have Bohemian Rhapsody at the top and that was the year of um, was it not Bataclan the, uh, the, the 
the, 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 yeah. the, the, the attacks, shooting yeah. in Paris, yeah, and yeah. everyone said, "Oh, we need a really uplifting song uh, to do <laughs> d- 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 to lighten the mood after this terrible year that we had." You know, but back then we thought that was the worst thing that could happen in the year. It was a terrible thing to happen, but it was one terrible thing rather than nine thousand, which we've had this year. But right. uh, so, so they said, like, "Let's have a really uplifting uh, so, 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 so song to kind of you know uh, feel good about ourselves," and they picked, yeah, "Imagine" by John Lennon, which is only uplifting in the sense that it is the ultimate lift elevator music song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine the top 2000 uh, uh, was not. Uh, yeah, imagine uh, there's no top 2000. That, 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 yeah, that, that, that is exactly, my ultimate yeah. dream. I'm going to text you every single time a Dire Straits song comes on, Gordon. It's yeah. going to be great. I haven't, I haven't seen the full list, though, actually. I, I want to know. I'll be ashamed if more than five of my songs actually make it into the top 2000. The the list isn't published yet, but you can oh. look up individual songs to see if they are uh, in the top three thousand. Right. So I immediately checked if uh, yeah. uh, if I tell you by Rene Leblanc was uh, on the list, but of I was course. very of I was course. very disappointed to see that it wasn't uh, it wasn't in the top three thousand. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah uh, they will publish uh, uh, their schedule somewhere um, in the coming weeks, so we can we, uh, I can script uh, 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 a program that will text uh, Bo- uh, Gordon every. Every time no, the die straight will, uh, will, will, oh, uh, we will. will pop up. And it's going <laughs> yeah. to be great. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do, to be honest. <laughs> it's your farewell <laughs> gift to Gordon. Exactly. It's, it's a lovely end of year tradition, I think. <laughs> you can't quit fast enough, sure. I'm telling you. <laughs> This week, we will update you on the latest coronavirus numbers in the Netherlands and what you can and cannot do at the Christmas break. You will hear about the new steunpakket that the government announced this week for companies and for other um, horeca, I think. Yeah, we will hear about that on the podcast. Uh, the latest episode in the never-ending Binnenhof renovation saga and why doctors are warning you for eating avocados and where in the Netherlands a mysterious monolith appeared. Breaking news, as we had just finished writing the script for this week's podcast yesterday evening, Health Minister and Keukenhof shoe freak Hugo de Jonge announced on Twitter he will not lead the CDA into the March 2021 general elections. Hugo de Jonge wrote in a statement he had come to the conclusion that his tasks as Health Minister during the Corona crisis is not compatible with leading the Christian Democratic Party into the elections. Hugo de Jonge narrowly won the leadership election last August from MP Pieter Omtzigt with support of only 50.7% of the CDA members. Including Peter Omzik's wife. Including Peter hmm. Omtzigt's wife, yeah. Um, yeah, this was this, this very disastrous uh, uh, election, wasn't it? it? They had to redo it, and uh, 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 there were all sorts of troubles with the integrity of the election, and people who wanted to vote for Hugo de Jonge got a pop-up message that they had voted for... No, the no. other way around. People other who wanted around. to yes. vote for Peter Omtzigt got a pop-up message that they had voted for Hugo de Jonge, including Peter Omtzigt's wife. So yeah, it was uh, it was a glorious episode indeed. Um Recently, the Jonge has seen mounting criticism from both inside and also outside this party. Uh, it has been said uh, other CDA ministers didn't agree with his handling of the corona crisis. Uh, nonetheless, his decision came as a huge surprise. The Jonge will not take a different position on the candidate list, so we will, uh, yeah, you can you cannot vote for Hugo de Jonge in the upcoming election. Uh, the party was supposed to have a convention over the weekend where the candidate list was supposed to be finalized and confirmed, but it 
attended, but the uh, conference has been postponed to a different time. It's still unclear who will succeed the Jonge as party leader. The party's board is considering two scenarios now, according to NRC. Either nominate Wopke Hoekstra as leader or go with the number two on the list and uh, runner-up of the leadership elections, Pieter Omtzigt, who will then run with Hoekstra as the CDA's candidate for the prime ministry. Even though Omtzigt won 49.3% of the leadership votes, many CDA members, however, are opposing the idea of having Omtzigt leading the party in the elections. So yeah, there's no um, there's no ideal scenario for the leadership no, now yeah, because. Yeah. Because Wopke uh, Hoekstra has said uh, on multiple occasions that he didn't see himself as a as this sort of campaigning politician. He sees himself more as a manager. So yeah, yeah. There's, uh, the party has a huge problem. Yeah, well, one of the people who doesn't want, uh, that doesn't like the idea of Peter Omzicht uh, leading the party is Peter Omzicht. He's kind of said he doesn't want to go for it either, <laughs> does he? Yeah. yeah, there's there's rumors that he also uh, wants to uh, uh, don't want to lead the party into elections. So yeah, uh, no. Which is this? But this is a changed perspective because. Obviously, he wanted this before, right? Or he wouldn't have run for the position. Yeah, that's right. But 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 uh, um, uh, yesterday, when this news broke, there were immediately rumors that Omzicht uh, 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 would have said to the party board that he didn't see himself uh, running. So yeah, he par- he apparently changed his mind at some point. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Hugo de Jonge was um, uh, he he never was. Uh, he never became the leader of the party, uh, didn't he? He won the election, but only narrowly. Yeah. Uh, the party was split. Uh, he he decided to run when uh, his popularity was 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 high and his mm. approval ratings were high, and uh, the general uh, opinion was that he was leading the the handling the Corona crisis very well. Mm. That uh, opinion has completely changed now. Um, the CDA is also instead of getting a bump of this uh, leadership election in the polls, which the party hoped for uh, they have only seen their their party uh, go down in the polls not that much but it, it is a it is a downward trend nonetheless um so yeah the, i think the party uh, also f- try to force him out because you know they they don't they're not confident that they will get a good election result with him leading the party mm. he is uh, yeah it's it's um, uh, the, the hints were there all along but still yeah. it came as a huge surprise it did come as a huge surprise and it is one of those things that uh, it, it caught everyone by surprise but when you look back um, immediately it happened you think uh, well it, it was the obvious and there was a kind of inevitability about it and you wonder actually yeah. why it took so long for for this to happen given we are only four months away from the election but yeah and there, 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 there were mutterings at the weekend weren't they in the Telegraph uh, various members uh, started saying uh, either um, uh, either went public or they, they, they or they were quoted anonymously saying they weren't happy with uh, with um, Hugo de Jong's leadership and they, they felt that he wasn't taking the party in the right direction uh, so it was obviously it was, it was unraveling but actually when you look back over the last couple of months there's been all kinds of in- internal disputes within the CDR there's obviously a big split not just um, in terms of who voted for who in the um, in the leadership election but there's also of course the, the, these running undercurrents of should the party take a more nationalistic course or should it try and move back towards the centre and there's, there, there's big unresolved issues there so it kind of feels as if we've been focusing these last couple of weeks very much on the the, the, the very dramatic uh, unravelling of the Forum for Democracy but um, while well, in the meantime the CDR has been quietly falling apart and there hasn't been anything like as much attention paid to it until now yeah indeed um 
Yeah, uh, what what do we think? Uh, did Hugo Jung make the right decision in uh, for the party, or sh- should he have just stayed on and uh, uh, kept leading? Um, I mean, I don't know about- if it's the right decision for the party, but I I don't think that he is partic- I mean, Ruta has been extremely adept at making sure that all of the things that have gone bad with Corona procedures and measures have sort of fallen on Hugo de Jonga, right? That you see all of this stuff that it was very clear was going to be difficult to organize when we were going to get the vaccination, this app situation, the dashboard, like all of this planning. And you, you go to the press conferences and every time there's questions about this stuff that's difficult, Ruta just immediately looks at de Jonga, right? And so de Jonga is forced to answer on the spot. He is the one that has had to take responsibility. And, it, you know, things are not going well. Um, they're really, really not going well right now with the numbers. But a lot of stuff even along the way, right, that there's been lots of delays. De Jong has stuck his foot in his mouth by saying that we were going to start vaccinating on the 4th of January. But, of course, it's not clear that that's going to be – that that was ever possible, right? And so none of these things reflect well. And so, like you said earlier, Paul, right, that the city, I think, thought that they were going to get a bump because – at the time when they were having this elections, it was earlier in the year when the numbers were looking better and the weather was better and everybody was sort of thinking that like, yeah, we were doing doing great and that things were going to sort of like coast into elections and that's not the case. And so I think that, I don't think De Jong had much of a choice, essentially. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure it's better for the party to have to deal with a leadership situation now, but I definitely don't think it's good for him to be walking into March elections representing, you know, being the face of this, of the party as the face of somebody who I don't think has a ton of, you know, like political clout at the moment. I think it was a good decision in the sense that Jonga recognized that he couldn't do both jobs at the moment because he's he obviously took the job. I don't back believe the... that at all. I don't believe that at all. Yeah, uh, I don't believe he, it for he, a second. He, he, he could have, he, if he is a good minister and a good leader, he, he should have made this this estimation and this conclusion before he ran oh, for the I agree with that. Yeah, for... I was going to go on to say that, 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 yeah, he's finally recognized that he's got so much in his plate as health ministry. He's obviously took the party lead leadership at a time when it looked as if the, the first wave looked like that was it. They, they, they got the virus under control and they could just um, uh, they were managing things well and they could just uh, roll on until they got the vaccine. Now the second wave has happened and it's, it's kind of bewildering. It's taking this long to realise that uh, the, you know, the, 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 the being health minister now is what defines him and uh, takes up all of his time. He hasn't really got the space to be leader of a party going into an election um, as well. Um, but, but, but it's terrible timing because I think I if that on. is the case, then he's a really shitty health minister because <laughs> everyone was saying, everyone was saying, the World Health Organization was saying, the CDC was saying, like every dipshit on Twitter was saying, there's going to be a second wave yeah. in the winter when everybody goes inside. We know this is what happens with respiratory illnesses. Like we know that this is what happens with the flu, blah, 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 blah. So either he, you know, was not sort of paying attention to what anybody that's ever taken like a basic virology 101 class was saying or like i think which is more likely is is that like this is just sort of much more naked political like attempting to sort of save face and save career situation i think it's both i think there's elements of both but definitely if you cast your mind back to september everyone was saying oh we really hope there's not a second well all the politicians sorry not the scientists yeah. the politicians were saying we really hope there's no second wave even though everyone who had uh, any expertise in in in, 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 in yeah in, in virology was saying 
there will be a, there almost certainly will be a second wave. But the, yeah, the, 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 as we know, they weren't prepared for it because you know we are in the situation that we are in now. So I think that's right. definitely one element, element of it. And the other one is kind of classic politicking. He, he can see that the uh, the part that things are not going well in the polls. He's going to lead the party to possibly in the election defeat and decline in seats. And um, yeah, he, 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 he doesn't really fancy that on, especially when he's got the yeah he's likely to to to. to, to to, to take a lot of the blame if uh, anything goes wrong with coronavirus and that will reflect badly on the party so in that kind of yeah. sense so yeah it, it, it's maybe a good decision for the party but the timing is just really bad because they, they, they end up with this dilemma with either they have you know a leadership issue now or or um, De Jong just tries to muddle on as party leader and potentially things get even worse and then they end up with a situation where he gets forced out either before the election or after they have some kind of pay fade style meltdown during the election if the CDA is smart, they will uh, really talk into Wopke um, Hoekstra uh, to, to become their prime ministerial candidate because the VVD, uh, you know, their main competitor in this election, yeah. is uh, is fearing uh, a, a, a having to, to campaign against Wopke uh, Hoekstra, the most popular minister in the cabinet, uh, yeah. well-respected figure in the country. Um so yeah, I think uh, I think this could turn out for the for the better for the CDR uh, at the end actually. Yeah, if they can persuade Hookstra to take the job, obviously. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Although really I mean, a- I do agree with what some people have been saying is is that Hookstra is not a great like he's not a great campaigner he does not sort of come across well i think with a lot of the like stuff that you kind of have to do um in campaigning and like these sorts of things i think he's much better at being a a minister although i don't really agree with a lot of the stuff that he's done but i think he's much more effective there so i do wonder whether or not he thinks it's in his own interest to take this on right that like if this is a thing that he's not particularly good at is it worth sort of tarnishing his own reputation i guess we'll see i was just intrigued as well as a final point to see that uh, you, apparently you can actually win an election with a narrow margin, discover that the outcome is completely impractical and just uh, step aside and not follow it through. I wonder if you could apply that in yeah. any other context. <laughs> so, by Hugo de Junga stepping down as party leader, it ruined my intro joke for the segment that we're about to do. But, you know, I think he's you, ruined a make lot of things, and this is probably yeah. the least significant of them. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that this is the most non-news news item we've ever had at the top of this podcast in the four years that I've been doing it, because basically there is nothing to say. Uh, Prime Minister Mark Ritza and Health Minister Hugo de Junga held yet another press conference on Tuesday and announced, well, nothing. I mean, I guess technically <laughs> de Junga said some stuff about when we might get a vaccine, but Considering his track record of all the corona-related timelines being wildly off, I'm not even sure they are worth repeating. Since the rules are not changing, here's a reminder of what they are. You may have no more than three visitors in your home in a 24-hour period. That excludes children under the age of 13. This includes Christmas dinner, um, which was a bit of a discussion in the last like week or two, whether or not they would change the rules for Christmas. Group sizes in public places and spaces should be no more than four from mixed households. Face masks are compulsory in public indoor spaces, cafes, bars, and restaurants remain shut. Ritza very pragmatically told everyone to order takeaway from their favorite restaurant for Christmas. Unsurprisingly, a lot of families are now scrambling to square the three adults circle as that is a insufficient number for a circle party and thus all of Dutch society has fallen apart. I'm hearing a lot of, well, we are just going to shut the curtains. So I suspect the national snitch line is going to be doing a brisk business over Christmas. I tell you, you know, you know things are going seriously when Dutch people actually threaten to close the curtains in their windows. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> how, been, I that's how drastic it's become. That- I think it's a good indication of how this country is feeling about Corona when I'm hearing Dutch people say that they're just going to break the rules. 
Yeah, that's e- then either you are at the red light district in uh, in Amsterdam, <laughs> or there is a, a huge crisis going yeah. on. Well, there's a right. pandemic. Um, I, I will snitch on my parents if I get invited to Christmas dinner, though. So. I will I will switch snitch on anyone that's listening because I have been uninvited from Christmas dinner, so I will be spending <laughs> Christmas alone. Um, and you better believe that I will be going out for a long walk on Christmas and snitching on anyone who I see that has more than three adults in their house. <laughs> uh, you Take your a- external charger with you because you're yeah. going to need it. Yeah, are you becoming the new street mayor? I'm going to become the new street mayor. No, the new street uh, boa. Street boa, yeah. yeah. De Younga did tell reporters on Tuesday that the first delivery of vaccines will be in January. That's assuming the government can figure out the, quote, complex puzzle of distribution. A 90-year-old British woman got the first shot earlier this week, giving some people Christmas optimism. Um, though, as we discussed, it was pointed out that that vaccine was manufactured in Europe. So it's a bit unclear whether or not the UK is going to continue to benefit from that uh, after it after Brexit happens at the end of the year. Um, so, did anybody else get uninvited from Christmas dinner? I was never invited in the first place. It was like, uh, well, I've, I've known for months problem, so I'm going to have Christmas by myself. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have a Zoom Well, Christmas you're not by yourself. I mean, I'm assuming you're not oh, shipping your kids off, right? Well, <laughs> you know. I was, I was, gonna, I was, I was trying to <laughs> be quiet be about preferable? that. <laughs> no. Uh, so it'll just be me and the boys. You're right. Uh, at Christmas yeah. dinner. That's nice. And Paul, what are you going to be doing? Because you um, have your family has like a you know an, an, a, just an inordinate amount of children. We are we are trying to figure it out. Um, <clears throat> probably we're going to have a blockish uh, Christmas yeah. uh, to sort of move along to and, and see where where we're allowed to go and then just celebrate Christmas there and then the next day uh, move to another place. I think that's what what we're going to do. Even though I'm not entirely sure, we are we are we are we are uh, we are uh, there's a fiery debate going on in our family group chats to see how we're going to handle Christmas. Um, but yeah, I'm um, uh, uh, yeah. We will see what will happen. I'm not sure yet. Is there a is there a debate between people who are saying we should just break the rules for Christmas and people who are yeah. saying we should not break the rules for Christmas? Yeah, that's about that's about the same boat that we were in. Yeah, yeah, oh. and and I personally don't want to break the rules basically yeah. because I have been complaining on Twitter for what is it eight months now? Yeah, uh, about people who are breaking the rules. So I I I don't see myself um, doing no. that. I would I wouldn't be comfortable um, breaking the rules. I mean, fortunately, I was in the situation where I felt very strongly about breaking the rules and also by the sheer fact of just refusing to go could enforce the rules because of the way the numbers worked out. Because my partner has one sister and she has a, a you know, an adult boyfriend. Thank God. Which means that, like, obviously, three. So if three people can go, I, I, you know, I could just refuse to go and ergo by default enforce the three person rule. Uh, which was the nuclear option that I was I was willing to you engage willing in, but in the end, there, yeah. in a true Dutch fashion, everyone got together and came to a consensus. Yeah, 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 so. You're going to say everyone sat around the table because you can't all sit around the table together. <laughs> no, you can't sit around the, the table. We sat around yeah. the family WhatsApp group <laughs> and uh, came to a consensus. Yeah. Uh, that leaves me sort of out in the cold for Christmas, which everybody feels quite bad about, and I am immensely looking forward to because I've had absolutely <laughs> no alone time for eight months. And so I have great plans to lay on the couch and read three to five books, and I'm very excited. Sounds good. Yeah. No, to be fair, I mean, my in-laws are kind of inviting everyone over in, in shift as well. They're doing like a block his uh, uh, Christmas break, but over the whole course of the, um, uh, the Christmas holiday. So we'll get a couple of days in Deventer. Oh, that's um, even better. Just, yeah. just, that's nice, I yeah. think. I, yeah. I'm, 
I find it unclear why people don't sort of enjoy that. I mean, considering that, you know, I hear so many Dutch people complain about how stressful the two days of Christmas is, where you got to pack the kids up, get them to one set of grandparents, drive somewhere else, do a second set, whatever, that like, this seems like the perfect opportunity to just take, you know, two weeks and sort of see people slowly over time when you yeah. can spend, you know, genuinely good time with them and not kind of, you know, be rushed or be harried and just sort of enjoy yourselves. Um, so I'm, I, I wish that people were seeing it more through that that lens. John Lennon, who died 40 years ago this week, once said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Coronavirus, on the other hand, as Mark Rutter would say, is what happens when you don't make any plans at all. So <laughs> this week, the government made no plans at all for further measures. And meanwhile, the coronavirus uh, were going back up uh, steadily until Thursday when they shot up by more than 2,000 to 8,793. That's the highest figure since the end of October and comes at the end of a week when, on average, cases went up by nearly 40%. There is one big qualifier here, which is that there's been a lot more testing going on uh, because since December the 1st, anyone without symptoms uh, who receives an app alert can can get a test straight away. You don't have to wait till you get sick. Uh, so oh, they've, they've okay. widened the testing capacity. There has been about 25 to 30% more testing being done. So that accounts for some of the increase, but not all of it. And of course, we're in a lockdown, so the idea is the numbers go down and they're quite clearly by any yeah. indicator not going down they're going up so it's a problem i saw the r value uh was calculated to be one yeah it's a dead yeah. on dead on one it has been for a couple of weeks as well i think last yeah. week as well and obviously the r value is backdated by about two or three weeks so the yeah. r value has been yeah has been one or more since uh, the last uh, last days of november which is an indication that the virus is spreading again. So, and even when you take the extra testing into account, we've seen uh, the positive test rate has gone up as well. That's up to 11.6% again, which is obviously much higher than it should be. should be around 5%. And hospital admissions have also flatlined around about the 1600 mark. Uh, and intensive care admissions have also leveled off at around 450. And those are kind of manageable numbers in themselves. But of course, it's a really bad base if you start rising again, because if you, yeah. it'll take a couple, two or three weeks if you take any measures before they actually take any effect. In the meantime, the number of people being infected, the number of people in hospital could uh, could double. That's the kind of timescale you work on. And we're seeing- Yeah, I've been, I saw, um, what is his name? The The intensive care unit? Guy, uh, Diedrich Diedrich, yeah, yeah, was gave an interview in which he was pointing out that, of course, you know, as the numbers go up, this means that things, you know, now are going to be quite bad over Christmas. And so, not only are you asking the healthcare system to continue to be overburdened, you're asking all these healthcare workers to do, you know, what nobody else will be doing, which is working miserable hours yeah. straight through the holidays. Um, which I think was a, a, an excellent point, right? That those people would also like to spend time with their families yes. and because the rest of us can't seem to stay home and and not break the rules. They're going to be unable to do that yeah indeed yeah and we're also seeing more of a kind of geographical spread so um the biggest hotspots now aren't in the big cities uh, although the Hays still got relatively high numbers but places like flavorland and gelderland and northern limburg and a lot of the bible belt as well the bible belt uh, numbers have uh, been going uh, shooting up which is uh, yeah uh, may say something about uh, you know those places i don't know um and maybe the real <laughs> alarming story is what's happening in the schools because although the government has insisted there won't be an extension to the school holiday either before or after christmas schools are now the sources of uh, 
about 8.5% of all infections, and the 13 to 7-year-old age group has got by far the highest infection rate. It's, it's gone up rapid, um, massively in the last couple of weeks as well. Um, but nevertheless, wow. uh, and the outbreak management team also said that uh, if uh, the schools were shut, uh, it could bring down the number of intensive care patients by 60. Uh, but nevertheless, um, the, the, uh, Mark Ritten, Hugo de Jong, and the education minister, Ari Slob, have all said um, that, that there are no plans to extend the school holiday. What incidentally has said there might be extra measures if the numbers keep rising, but they won't come into force until after Christmas. So, yeah, January is, uh, yeah. Yeah, is not, not a lot of great. urgency, uh, not a lot of urgency yeah, from again, the government numbers side. Numbers going up, yeah. no sense of urgency. And again, that language of let's just wait and see if the numbers go higher, when surely if we've one thing we've learned over the last eight months is that wait and see is the worst thing you can possibly do. Yeah, because when when did the partial lockdown come into effect? Yeah, that so was uh, October. In October. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the, for example, the the, the numbers in uh, numbers of people on the ICU uh, intensive care units, yeah. and uh, in October it was around 600, and now it's been little less, uh, a little less than 500. Yeah. So yeah, we've uh, this this partial lockdown hasn't had that much effect on 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 the intensive care capacity. Basically, the whole thing that that these measures are 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 uh, are aimed at. So yeah, it's it's I I. Yeah, it's it's not achieving its intended purpose. I think um, Ernst Kaupers, who's the head of the Acute Care Association, said that they they were aiming for 1,200 patients by Christmas, and they've now admitted that they're not going to reach that target because there are still 1,600 and it's not going down anymore. So, not looking good. Not looking good at all, and then we have to, we're going to have to see, um, uh, you know, the the infections by, for example, Black Friday uh, yeah. are still having to come That's in. That's going to work into the system as well. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I think it's you know what's going to inevitably happen is there's going to be a lot of rule breaking at Christmas, and two weeks after that, we're also going to see quite a spike in stuff. And I think yeah. I think that to me seems more worrying because, of course, Christmas, you know, if. You see a lot of the numbers go up, right? If a bunch of students have parties, but not so much the death rate or the in, in you know hospitalization rates, because there are lots of young people who are less affected by the virus if they get it. But you know, at Christmas, if you're spending time with your family, and there's a lot of Dutch people who have just decided to shut the curtains and invite you know the school kids and grandma over for dinner, mm. then you know you have this really I think dangerous situation where you run the risk of really harming people who are at the most at risk for for, for serious complications or death from the virus. Yeah, this is. Exactly it, and I was just just staggered to, to watch the press conference on Tuesday and see that um, not just not only with the government not announcing any um, uh, any step up in measures, but also all the questions are about when we're going to ease the measures. When yeah. you know, nobody was kind of no, there was not even any kind of discussion about whether or not we should be shutting the schools because, like you say, I mean, the, yeah. all the families are going to get together at Christmas, and if the infections are spreading around the classroom, the logical next step, as we've seen from the first and second wave, is that that's going to mean the young people transmit it to the old people. So what, right. what, why on earth mm-hmm. is not even any consideration to maybe you know um, giving the schools an extra week off in the week before Christmas uh, so that we can see because we saw during the autumn in October that when the school when we had the autumn holiday for a week the infections went down much faster so yeah. that would seem to be a logical step to yeah uh, to, 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 to have the kids off school for a week before Christmas and that gives you a bit of breathing space to get the virus uh, out of their system before they go off and see Grandma and Opa and Oma. Yeah. I mean, you would think that that yeah. would have been a smart thing to do, but it does not seem that that's what the government wants to engage in. 
The cabinet has announced new measures to help companies faced with the economic consequences of the coronavirus pandemic and is delaying plans to reduce some of the support measures till next year. In total, the cabinet is setting aside a further 3.7 billion euros for new measures, which will run until the end of March. That comes on top of the 34 billion, which had already been allocated to helping companies since the start of the outbreak last March. Some of these will be focused on the hardest hit sectors. Those include the travel industry, the hospitality industry, and event organizers, social affairs. Minister Wouter Kolmes told reporters at a press conference on Wednesday morning, it is a puzzle and you have to look carefully at what is both best for companies and for the bill that eventually has to be paid. Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra said at the same press conference, interesting choice of words because both Rutte and De Jonge repeatedly described things as a quote puzzle during their press conference the evening before. Is the government trying for a consistent communication strategy or has everyone's favorite lockdown hobby gotten back as it gets to be too cold to go outside yeah you often see that right when these uh, ministers have sort of uh, synchronized their story with each yeah. other and discussed them at length then you have these buzzwords that take over it's basically like uh, synchronized periods right they yeah. and uh, now they synchronize their their buzzwords so yeah puzzle is something that uh, that came along during the press conference there were these dreadful metaphors uh, being in a cross Crossroads, being at a split in the road. That was the other one that came up at the press yeah. conference. Not this press conference, the one with uh, Rutte and De Jong on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there was also this this uh, this explosive ministerial memo that was leaked somewhere during the week. I believe it was Tuesday. It was a memo by the Economic Affairs Ministry that said that they believed that if the Horeca was reopened again, it would lead to less infections. I'm not entirely sure how that works because I do not believe that at all. But it was sort of... I mean, I think the argument that this memo was trying to make is that now people are still gathering together. Um, You know, they're eating together, they're drinking together, but they're doing it, you know, with the curtains closed. And so this is basically the worst case scenario for how you could socialize. And if you had the restaurants and stuff open, then people would go there where it's much more easy to enforce social distancing regulations. I think that this was kind of what they were getting at. I don't think that... Their argument was this. When the partial lockdown was announced and the Horeca had to close down again, the R value was 1.3. Then it went down and now it went up again, or at least uh, the uh, the Economic Affairs Ministry calculated that the current R value is 1.3. So their argument is, if it's still at the same level as when we closed the Horeca, then closing the Horeca has no effect. But it went down in the first place yeah. so it does have effect so yeah I'm not entirely sure how their argument no. works but at least there are many people who feel that the Horeca should be reopened again because you know these people who own restaurants and cafes they don't have any income at no. all yeah but there is a solution to this that does not involve risking people's lives which is just having the government pay them to stay home and stay closed yeah. like yeah, exactly. this endless unending debate about you know we're we're balancing between the pandemic and the economy i mean as you know the data out of sweden which never shut down and has had worse economic outcomes shows people don't go out and do stuff if they are afraid of catching a virus and so as long as the population is afraid of this the amount of money that's going to be spent in places like bars and restaurants is not going to be sufficient to maintain people you are much better off i think it's very clear at this point closing stuff down 
letting, you know, the virus sort of run its course, get, you know, protecting people, whatever, waiting for a vaccine at this point. I mean, at this point, it seems super obvious to just keep things shut because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I think it was a little harder to make that decision in March when, like, you didn't know what was going to come. Maybe we were going to be in this situation for three or four years, but it doesn't seem like it's that now. And I'm just so tired of listening to this argument about how, yeah, you have to open back up so that people can earn a living. And like, that's, that is not your only option. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad Wolpka is not invited to at any sort of Christmas dinner that I am going to be having it at in any sense because I don't have very nice things to say to him about this. I think Wolpka is also very happy that he doesn't have to sit next to you. Yeah. <laughs> In addition, the government is also setting up a new uh, 130 million euro fund to help workers and the self-employed who cannot apply for any of the other schemes. That fund will be known as TONK. It'll be administered by local authorities. And in the most shocking news of all, the government has agreed that there will be no value-added tax on the coronavirus vaccine, essentially turning the vaccine day into a replacement King's Day. (laughs) Yeah, we finally have our King's Day celebration, indeed. (laughs) Uh, Will the government have uh, sort of reserve a spot in the park with a blank? it where they will hand out these vaccines or yes i think so they're just gonna do it on the sidewalk in front of the ggz spaces they're gonna chalk it all off and have uh, have their own spots for stuff because at this point it seems that this is the level of organization yeah. for the jonge and the ggd um, have are applying yeah. to this crisis yeah, yeah indeed yeah i mean it'll be sort of interesting to see how the vaccine stuff gets rolled out but i did appreciate that there was a note about the uh the tax situation maybe if they set up some tables and they were giving away free face painting and like orange <laughs> tompus that we would just be able to get everybody vaccinated there'd be no discussion about this like whole i'm not going to get vaccinated thing. what if um the government should have made it uh, compulsory to be vaccinated and vote for the top three thousand? that's sort of the yeah uh, a vaccine should have been a condition in order to vote for the top 2000. Then everybody's going to then get everything. Then everybody would have done it. Yeah. yeah. We at the Dutch News Podcast have been doing our best to keep you up to speed with everything that's been happening during a rollercoaster year from the ups and downs of the coronavirus pandemic to the nauseating downward spiral that was Forum for Democracy's self-destruction. So we'd like to give a special Christmas shout out to all our patrons this year who've kept us going and contributed to Truby's very expensive dog fund. Uh, it's been a very difficult year for lots of people, well aware of that uh, in lots of ways, and so we're extra grateful for your continuing support uh, throughout this time. We have one new patron uh, to thank uh, this week, uh, which is, who is a noble, um, so thank you very much uh, to you. We've also got an extra Christmas treat for you, because next week, as is traditional, we will be announcing and discussing the nominations for our OPEF of the Year awards, but the show will only be available to patrons to begin with. Yeah. So we'll release it to patrons on Friday. We'll also publish the shortlist of OPEFs you can vote for, but if you actually want to listen to the discussion and remind yourself what these flash-in-the-pan enormous uh, outrages uh, that died down <laughs> within 24 hours actually were, you will need to either be or become uh, a sponsor. So we'll publish a short list um, on social media uh, next Friday um, after we've recorded the episode, but we'll only release it to um, patrons. And then everyone else uh, will be able to uh, listen to it from January the 1st, which will be just before voting closes. And if you just want to be a, a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast anyway, please go on to Patreon dot com slash dutch news nl uh you'll get the chance to ask us a question and you'll get a shout out on the next episode by way of thanks and there was also another christmas uh, special for the non-patrons uh, at least because yeah. we had recorded a ask us anything uh, during the summer and that was only available for the patrons but we will release it uh, during yes. the christmas break as well so there's uh, there's still more molly to come yes Indeed. unfortunately 
unfortunately. You're not done with her yet, yeah. So, and uh, finally, of course, uh, we wish all our patrons and all our listeners a very happy Christmas. Yes, but our patrons a little more happiness. A little extra happiness. It's true. Ever since the government announced the centuries-old parliamentary complex in The Hague desperately needed a major renovation, we on the podcast predicted this would easily become the Ophef of Ophefs. And indeed, it turns out we weren't wrong. This week saw a new episode in the never-ending saga of the Binnenhof Verbouwing, which is estimated to cost 475 million euros. An independent report concluded this week that a phased renovation is indeed possible and also cheaper than relocating the entire Binnenhof to the former Foreign Affairs Building for five years. The Binnenhof complex is used not only by the Tweede Kamer, remember, but also by the Eerste Kamer, the Prime Minister's Office, the Council of State, and the Riddersaal at the heart of the complex is used for ceremonial occasions such as Prinsjesdag, or as we like to call it, Budget Day. The new report is much to the annoyance of junior Interior Minister Raymond Knops, who oversees the renovation that initially was planned to start in 2017. All users of the Binnenhof were supposed to move out for five years in order to renovate all the parts of the complex simultaneously, but Knops has been fighting with an unwilling and uncooperative Tweede Kamer for years now. It all started when Tweede Kamer Chair Kadisha Arip and other MPs rejected the plans of the renovation's architect, saying that her plans, which included the infamous indoor tropical garden, remember the indoor tropical garden? Yes. Were too outlandish. Their quarrel ultimately led to the architect quitting the project in September last year, it feels like she quit five years ago. But it's only been September in 2019. Oh, yeah. It feels like something that happened in my childhood. That's how long ago yeah, it feels. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. A new team of architects was appointed, but their work were delayed further, not only by a new wave of demands and wishes from the Tweede Kamer, but also when the stickstoff crisis broke out after a court ordered the Netherlands to drastically reduce nitrogen-based pollutions. And in the meantime, the dreadful former foreign affairs building in The Hague was refurbished for 160 million euros to house the entire parliament, and they even uh, built an exact replica of the Tweede Kamer chamber in that building. Did they also uh, include a tropical garden? (laughs) No, and in fact, in an effort to maintain the idea that there are absolutely no tropical gardens, they've banned indoor potted plants, lest it be mistaken. (laughs) for an indoor tropical garden. Much to the annoyance of Thierry Baudet, who wanted to spend an enormous amount on indoor plants. Yeah, and even more to the annoyance of uh, Hank Cotton, who wanted to destroy them with white wine. (laughs) Yes. Last month, however, Arip informed Slop that the Tweede Kamer does not want to move to the Foreign Affairs building next summer, officially because it would be too difficult to maintain social distancing rules there. But of course, the actual reason is that they just really do not want to go there. I mean, what is the actual rationalization for this? I mean, social distancing rules, and I'll buy this for a second because it'll be next summer, and in theory, we'll be mostly out of the pandemic by then. I think Arip and the rest of the Tweede Kamer, they are just so attached to the Binnenhof complex, they don't want to move out. So the plan of Knops is to move everybody from the Binnenhof at once and then just start the clussing and Mm. start a renovation and do it as quickly as possible. But when they are going to renovate parts of the building while everyone is still around, logistically it's a much more complicated task of course. But yeah, Yeah. the Tweede Kamer doesn't want to move, they just want to stay. So they prefer the phased option. But that was always estimated to cost much more than just moving everybody at once. Mm. However, this new report concluded that this is indeed a good option and will 
cost 90 million euros less than uh, they're moving everyone at once. So hmm. they do some estimations. They conclude that the phased option is more expensive. And then the Twitacomer does its own investigation and somehow discovers that the option that it wants is actually less expensive. Yeah. Amazing. Isn't yeah, just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this conclusion is in, the, in direct contradiction to another report, which was made by the ministry, uh, that concluded a phased renovation could turn out to be 500 million euros more expensive. So, yeah, they have these two contradicting reports. Uh, they're waving with their own reports, basically, into each yeah. other. They have they have hired uh, their armchair uh, experts, I think, and uh, yeah. came to the conclusion that uh, they, they favored. However, I did find a problem with the Tweede Kamer's report and Ooh. that is it Ooh. only investigated the Tweede Kamer parts of the building so it completely oh. ignored the uh, Eerste Kamer the Ridderzaal the Prime Minister's office uh. so I think the reason is why this 90 million euros um, uh, cheaper is because they only took into account the, the, those parts of the, of the complex mm. so that's my theory. What's strange or what's interesting about the Tweede Kamer is that uh, it's a complex of buildings that dates back from the literally the 12th century to hmm. the 1990s. So you have these completely different buildings which need a different approach, I guess. But yeah. in terms of, you know, a painting and um, installing new heating and stuff like that, it makes sense to just do it all at once and, and, and that will turn out to be much cheaper, I guess. But yeah. um, in in terms of, for example, um, uh, data wiring and stuff like that, I mean, I assume that the Prime Minister's office needs a different system than the Eerste Kamer and the Tweede Kamer as well. So uh, in terms of that, it, it makes sense to phase it out because you need these different systems anyway for these different parts of the of the complex. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I just don't believe that uh, phasing it will be 90 million euros cheaper than uh, doing it all at once. I um, I know yeah. I'm leaving, guys, but you know, if they actually ever finish this renovation <laughs> and you guys do talk about it in 12 to 15 years, I would appreciate being asked to come back and do a guest spot about, about that. Presumably, yes. you guys will also no longer be here. Um, the <laughs> the sun may no longer be here, yeah. but if it's a, if it's an <laughs> option, I'd love to come back and have a conversation about it. At least we know yeah. one thing for certain. The second Corona app will still not uh, yeah. be available. <laughs> we'll be into the 27th wave by then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hugo and the 27th wave. I think that's a, that's a contender for the new top uh, 2000 number one position. Christian Party Christian Uni pulled a wild yet pragmatic U-turn this week and said the government should once again include the contraceptive pill in the basic health insurance package because of its important role in preventing abortions. Last year, the Christian Uni voted against a proposal from the Pevede to put the pill back into the basic package, but in an interview with National Newspaper Trial this week, Christian Uni MP Carla Derek Faber said it is, quote, strange that abortions are covered by insurance, but the pill is not, which... It is strange. Yeah. The pill was included in the Universal Basic Healthcare Package, which was determined by the government from 1972 to 2004 and from 2008 to 2011. It got dropped in 2004 because politicians thought women should have to pay for it themselves, was put back for that intervening eight years or that intervening four years because of the Labor Party and then dropped again when they were out. The change isn't because it's wholly ridiculous that medication that more than half of Dutch women take isn't covered by their health insurance, but of course it's because the Christian Union wants fewer abortions. 
decisions. And honestly, I gotta hand it to him, at least they are pragmatic and realistic about it, unlike yeah. uh, the vast majority of American so-called Christians. Yeah, actually, this is, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The party also wants the government to help women who want to talk about their experiences of abortion and to give family doctors a bigger role in helping women who become pregnant and don't want a child. As it is the season, other political parties have come out with other abortion-related proposals. Desis Assestig have come out in favor of scrapping the five-day wait that women face before undergoing an abortion, and both the PVDA and Link say family doctors should be able to prescribe abortion pills. All of which it just seems crazy is not already the rules. So we should definitely have contraceptive in the basic healthcare package. You should definitely don't need to make women wait five days before deciding that they're going to have an abortion. Women do not just willy-nilly decide that they're going to abort their child. And so thinking about it for longer doesn't really matter. And it's absurd to me that doctors cannot prescribe abortion pills, which are incredibly safe. So maybe hmm. we'll see some changes this year to this. Yeah, and I think the Christian Union, we, we've talked about the faith that they're going to the left yeah. in the past, but I think the Christian Union is also a little bit going to the left in the sense that they are getting less strict on, on these sort of issues Yeah, uh, because their, their counterpart, uh, or counterpart, their... Competitors. Yeah, their competitors, but also their... You know, they're, they're always coming two pairs, right? The Christian Union and the SGP. Yeah. The SGP is really, really, they already did, but they are really soaking up all these right-wing votes, uh, these, these anti-abortion, anti-contraceptive voters. Um, so yeah, I think the Christian Union is sort of slowly, steadily breaking away from their SGP partnership and uh, going more to the left. So yeah, that's an interesting uh, direction. Yeah, I mean, see. I think it's obviously, I think it's clearly a good move, but also... Also, I do think it's interesting because, like, the contraceptive pill is so widely used in this country, right? Like, more than half of Dutch women take some sort of oral contraception um, as a method of birth control. And that means that also more than half of men in this country are benefiting from this, right? So, like, it's more than 50% of the population, obviously, because, you know, if you're sleeping with a woman, you don't have to worry about getting pregnant if you're a woman. So it's more than half the country that is sort of benefiting from this particular thing. And so the idea to me that, like, you don't have this, like, large majority of people, right, who are not sort of benefiting from this in some way. And so it seems to me like an extremely pragmatic move to get voters, that there's a lot of people who might be opposed to abortion, but are clearly very in favor of of, of contraception because they're using it and their kids are using it and their partner is using it. So yeah. I do think it's a smart political move. I think so too. Sports news and Ajax will be continuing the European adventure after Christmas in the Europa League, which is the sporting equivalent of the Christian Democrat leadership contest. That's because they lost their final Champions League group game at home to Atalanta Bergamo. Uh, it was a pretty toothless display. Davy Klaassen missed the best chance when he shot straight at the goalkeeper deep into the second half. Then Ryan Gravenberg was sent off a couple of minutes later. And shortly afterwards, Louis Muriel delivered the coup de grace for Atalanta. Ajax will be joined in the Europa League by PSV Eindhoven, but not as at Alkmaar, who capped a miserable week in which they lost their manager and uh, yeah, things just fell apart, and now they've lost 2-1 <laughs> to Croatian side Rijeka. Um, Basically, it's the, it's the Eredivisie version of the CDA, I think. Yeah, or, or, or maybe the FAD. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, as at Alkmaar, of course, sat their coach, uh, Ari Slot, uh, because he'd been talking to Feyenoord um, yeah. about taking over from Dick Advocat at the end of the season. Uh, but Ari Slot's... Uh, potential next club Feyenoord have also been dumped out of the Europa League now they they lost 1-0 in Wolfsburg uh, both sides would have qualified if they'd won their matches on Thursday and Ajax were also defeated at home in the women's Champions League but that was no disgrace they lost 3-1 to Bayern Munich who are one of Europe's top women's teams 
It took me about three minutes to realize that you were saying Ari Slot and not Ari Slob, and I no, was Ari like, Slob. why is the education <laughs> minister in the sports segment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ari yeah. Slop and Ari Slot are in, in very similar um, predicaments at the moment. Yeah. yeah but is he also in favor of uh, contraception? Or? I don't know. Uh, I haven't asked. <laughs> He's not been asked. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But most importantly, will Oranje qualify for the next World Cup in the in the in the uh, in the country that still uh, has actual slaves? Uh, <laughs> yes, building indeed. stadiums. Yes, so, so they'll feel right at home. It's like, um, uh, well, um, Ronald Koeman's side have got a pretty good chance. So they they, they did the draw for the World Cup uh, in Qatar in 2022 last week, um, and the Netherlands have been drawn in Group G uh, with Turkey and Norway, uh, which are two kind of yeah, not not the toughest two sides they could have drawn. Although Turkey Turkey did yeah. dump the Dutch out of the 2016 European Championships. Oh, that's uh, so, right. Uh, yeah, in the qualifying competition there. So they'll be mindful of that. Uh, and uh, there are three other teams in the group, Montenegro, Latvia and uh, Gibraltar, who I presume oh, just field, field a team of monkeys, probably. I wonder if oh, Gibraltar, <laughs> will, will, will the Gibraltar team be able to get out of Gibraltar to play the qualifiers, you know, after Brexit? Yeah, you know, will uh, there not just be a huge queue of cars at the border, apparently? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they they <laughs> do gonna have to send this uh, this team of baboons. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they'll be only ones. That... It would be fun. It, oh, imagine getting kicked out by Gibraltar. That would be mm. awful. Yeah. Well, so Scotland yeah. played Gibraltar. Um, they, they've only been a, uh, had a football team for about I think four years. Um, but Scotland managed not to lose to them so far. It's only a matter of time, huh. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, Scotland have drawn the Faroe Islands again, uh, which we, ah. uh, we've we've had one draw with, with, with the Faroe Islands in the past. Um, so that's uh, another um, embarrassment waiting to happen. So I'm looking forward I, to that. I ended up at the Wikipedia page of the Faroe Islands uh, for strange reasons right. this week, and I found out that the Prime Minister is also the goalkeeper of the handball team, ah. the national handball team of the oh. Faroe Islands. Yeah. Does oh. that count as a partai uh, carouseling, or is that exempt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it does, but on the Faroe Islands, I mean, you don't you don't have any choice. Your, yeah, your that's pool of people yeah. is so small. Handball carousel. Yeah, and uh, two weeks after the loss of Diego Maradona, who lit up the 1986 World Cup, we have had to say farewell this week to the star of the 1982 tournament, Paolo Rossi. The Italian striker died on Thursday at the age of 64. He was reported to have been seriously ill for some time, so more sad 2020 news in the sporting world I have to admit that I never heard of Paolo Rossi uh, he, he, he scored six goals in the 1982 tournament he was a, a big ah. star at the time it's, it's, my, it's my first really clear footballing memory just about I think of, ah. uh, Paolo Rossi's uh, yeah, scoring his hat-trick against Brazil so he, 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 he just returned after a ban for I can't remember now. So something financial. There was some financial irregularity. Of course, yeah. yeah. My f my first football memory is the Battle of Nuremberg. Uh huh. Uh, at the I think. Oh yes, was it ninety six tournament or two thousand? I think it was yeah. two thousand. Yeah. Uh, when um, uh, the Netherlands played against Portugal and yeah. got the tsunami of yellow and red cards. Yeah, they had uh, the most red cards of any World Cup match ever. Yeah, and yellow yeah. cards. And yellow I cards. Think. Yeah. I will not ask what Molly's first football memory is because <laughs> I, I think even this this segment is not in her memory. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think you know the um, uh, Shakira's World Cup song, and I, I think you know that one. I think I do, but only because it's on my running playlist. That's yeah. it's not. I don't think I knew that it was a World Cup thing until until <laughs> later. <laughs> 
After Utah, California and Romania, a fourth mysterious monolith appeared last week and this time on a heath near the village of Ouderhorne in Friesland. The steel column of about 3 meters tall was discovered by a walker on Sunday morning who spotted it next to a small pool. No trace of footprints or vehicle tracks around the structure were found. The walker told Omroep Friesland he knows the area very well and his son uh, apparently was in the area the night before and he uh, didn't see it at that time. Staatsbosbeheer, which is the forestry agency, I guess, of the Netherlands, said it had no idea where the monolith came from and they suspect it was placed by pranksters. Many people all over the world speculate the mysterious monoliths are placed by aliens, but others see a clear link with the 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. This movie that I haven't seen, so I don't know. Oh, really? uh, It's a very uh, good movie. Is it? Yeah, really super, super good. Definitely worth watching. Really weird. I think I remember uh, that there was a poster of it in my classroom at primary school. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of look at computers and AI and a lot of other stuff. It's a good movie. I will totally and legally download it uh, later today and watch it tonight. You should save it for Christmas because you won't be able to celebrate Christmas because you're sticking to the rules, Paul. So That's right. But there are more movies than that. On Christmas Day, it's of course... Uh, uh, we have to watch Sissy, Princess Sissy. Yes. We have to watch The Sound of Music, isn't mm. it? Yeah, The Sound of Music. And we have to watch Home Alone, where this ah. uh, unknown person makes a cameo in the second movie mm-hmm. in the Plaza Hotel in uh, New York. But you don't watch the second or the third one, right? Just the first one. Yeah, we watch the first one, then the second one, but we stop watching at this particular moment when uh, Kevin walks into this hotel and then, uh, then we open our eyes again and then uh, we can watch the rest of it. There you go. But did you know that when Home Alone 2 came out, Donald Trump had just bought the Plaza Hotel and basically Home Alone 2 is this ginormous infomercial for Donald Trump's hotel, basically, Mm -hmm. because it completely takes place in this hotel. Yeah, and he demanded that he be able to get a cameo in order for them to be able to film in the hotel. That's why he's in the movie. Ever since I want to sleep in that hotel, by the way, but Ugh. that's a, that's a different story. I also want to want to meet uh, weird pigeon ladies in Central Park. Moving on to uh, oh yeah, I love that the Frisian Walker uh, had this very nuchter theory about uh, where this monolith came from because he said yeah this thing is definitely man-made it's uh, obviously not some sort of alien outer space thing and this is probably just placed by people who are corona mu who are tired of the pandemic i mean so, maybe yeah. it was us it could have been i am corona mu <laughs> i'm tired of the pandemic yeah yeah indeed and then uh, there was more weird news uh, dutch plastic surgeons are warning people to be careful while cutting avocados this was the most ridiculous story of last week or this week it is Yeah, Uh, the surgeons are seeing an increasing number of patients with accidental hand injuries caused by the improper pitting of an avocado using a knife. The Dutch Plastic Surgeon Association, NVPC, explained in their statement that people often hold an avocado in the palm of their hands while de-stoning it. Uh, When a knife slips, they will stab into their hands. So the NVPC now wants supermarkets to provide customers with clearer instructions on how to pit an avocado, and they ask chefs and influencers to stop using the unsafe method in their instruction videos because often they just hack this uh, their knife into this pit and then yeah. uh, pull it out and yeah apparently that, that causes all sorts of injuries which makes sense it's just weird that it has to come from these plastic surgeons uh, so what do they recommend a safer way to de-pit an avocado yeah they recommend using a knife and they also posted a video online on YouTube uh, an instruction video on how to cut and uh, de-stone your avocado so yeah you can check that out 
out on YouTube. Uh, it is unknown how many people in the Netherlands are injured by avocados every year, but American research showed that uh, over there, more than 800 people get injured in avocado-related accidents on a yearly basis. How do you depit an avocado, Paul? I don't eat avocados oh. because I think they are disgusting. The day this story came out, I, I was slicing up avocados for dinner. And of course, I do it the exact way they tell you you should not do it. So I hold it in the palm of my hand and whack the knife into like the pit thing and then pull it out. Well, that's not even the most dangerous one. But what people want to do is they stick the knife next to the pit and they want to leave the pit, yeah. the pit out. And that's when the knife slips and then sticks out on the other side and then uh, cuts into the palm of your hand. That's it's interesting to me that it's plastic surgeons that are doing this and not somebody else right because when you think of plastic surgery you think of more like aesthetic stuff and so like i mean i assume they're not like trying to make the scar on the palm of your hand look nicer so they must have some other sort of involvement in the the fixing of these kinds of injuries yeah plastic surgeons um they always complaining that they think of these um uh, silicon uh, breasts and stuff like yeah. that but they, they do lots of other stuff i'm not entirely sure how it works with that with the hands but yeah they it's it's these kind of surgeons who uh, who apparently are doing all these uh, all these reparations on the hand but yeah that's uh, that's what they are warning against and uh what i usually do when i cut uh, an avocado i just cut it into quarters instead of the ha- one half oh and then the pit just falls out because there's not a lot yeah. to uh that also works i think i don't know i've never had a problem cutting them so until i do i probably will not change my ways <laughs> until you uh yeah penetrated your hands and yeah, became exactly. sort of uh, avocado jesus then you're then you're going to uh Consider changing your your habits. Yeah, that's what Jesus did too, by the way. Of course. That's all that we have for you this week. This po- oh, this year, actually. This, this podcast year, yeah. is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and many, many thanks to Molly Quell. Uh, I'm Paul Peters, and we will not be back next next week but somewhere in january yes and uh very happy christmas to all our listeners yes. stay merry christmas stay safe and keep the curtains drawn keep the curtains drawn or I'll, i'm coming for you basically. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is a real possibility actually yeah yeah beware of molly walking down the streets with the ruining christmas for everyone yeah. i think there is a charles dickens story somewhere indeed, indeed. In this, yeah um, I'm the ghost of Corona Moo or something like this. <laughs> ghost of Corona, Corona Moo height. Of course it was Friesland. Where well, else? I, the I would guess it would be um, uh, Flevoland, I think. Or somewhere. Or somewhere oh, in the yeah, water, in the possible. water sea, that's that that, uh, uh, that 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 you know, island, uh, how do you call that? Or, or, or yeah, one of those islands uh, off uh, off Rotterdam, where they where they keep just building more islands because they run out yeah, of no, space. Yeah, no, I would love to see that that this monolith is in the water sea, and then when the tide comes up, uh, it's completely covered, and when it goes down, you you all of a sudden see it somewhere in the middle of this yeah. uh, plain. I don't know. Yeah. This kind of shallow sea, yeah, yeah, yeah. People out wading across at, uh, yeah. at low tide and, and going out to sea, and then get drowned, and then having to wait. Yeah.
Let them to race back before they drown. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Okay, that would have been a better place to put the monolith. Just saying, aliens, for your next yeah. your next attempt at something. Yeah, we have, we some, have suggestions, some suggestions yeah. for how you could do it better. Yeah, yeah, we we we, we suggest uh, we suggest Vatlopen. 